It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, January 26, 2021. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will again consider approving a request for proposals seeking bids to build a marine haulout at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park. The Assembly has postponed voting on the RFP twice and at its last meeting approved two changes to the document. It shortened the advertising period from 90 to 60 days and removed language requiring infrastructure like a 20-year washdown pad. Several other amendments failed and the Assembly postponed a final vote. That's after discussing if applicants who pitch long-term leases should be scored higher than applicants who are interested in an outright purchase of the city-owned property. In other business, the Assembly will consider approving a $30,000 appropriation to cover building inspections and appraisal of the former Sitka Community Hospital building. Search currently leases the building to house its long-term care unit, but is interested in purchasing the property. The Assembly has begun the competitive sale process. Members will decide whether the potential sale of the city-owned property will go to an advisory vote in October municipal election. The Sitka Assembly meets tonight at 6 p.m. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. Sitka's coronavirus alert level shifted to moderate on Monday after a reduction in cases over the last week. From January 17th to January 24th, local health officials reported seven new COVID-19 cases. Four of the new patients are non-residents between the ages of 10 and 19. All four were experiencing symptoms at the time of testing. Their cases are associated with travel, according to city data. Two Sitka residents in their 30s and a resident in his 60s also tested positive. One of the patients was not experiencing symptoms when she was tested. Her case is tied to community spread. Two of the cases are currently active, according to city data. Sitka has reported 307 cases since the start of the pandemic. As of Monday, Search has administered 1,260 initial vaccine doses in Sitka, according to Communications Director Megan Bosak. Of those patients, nearly half of them have also received their second dose. According to pharmacist Trish White, Harry Race Pharmacy has now distributed several hundred vaccines through its clinics. You can find information on how to register for vaccines through Search or White's Pharmacy on our website, kcaw.org. One of Alaska's largest fish processing plants is shutting down as a COVID-19 outbreak grows and owner Trident Seafoods struggles to test its workforce. The plant is on the isolated island of Accutan and is the second in the Aleutians to shut down this year. Now on the cusp of the billion-dollar pollock industry, KUCB's Hope McKenney reports that fishermen and industry leaders are anxious that they might not have places to offload their catch. Dan Martin used to make his living as a skipper, chasing schools of small fish called pollock around the Bering Sea in a big trawler. He just retired, and this is the first season in decades that he won't be fishing. But he still manages a fleet of nine boats for a company called Evening Star Fisheries, and he knows what's going through fishermen's minds as COVID-19 races through Aleutian processing plants, where and when they'll be able to deliver their catch or if their processing plant is next for a lockdown. I don't know that there's a contingency plan in place for that because it's everybody's worst nightmare. The winter fishery for Bering Sea Pollock, which goes into products like McDonald's fish sandwiches, officially opened Wednesday. But not for two of the region's largest processors. The Trident plant in Akatan and the Unice plant in the Aleutian port town of Unalaska are both shut down. Unice hopes to have its plant reopened by the end of next week. But Trident announced Thursday morning that its Akatan plant will be closed for three full 
couple weeks. Martin says he's seen short plant closures before, but this is more serious. When you're talking about an entire plant shut down for an indeterminate amount of time, that's a whole different problem. The outbreak in Akatan has been a particularly thorny problem because of its remoteness. The island has an airport but no functional runway, so planes can't fly there. Instead, workers fly to Unalaska, then either boat directly to Akatan or take a boat or flight to another neighboring island, followed by a helicopter to Trident's plant. Trident has been an industry leader in keeping the coronavirus out of its plants through tight quarantines and other protocols, but somehow it still got in. Brent Payne leads a trade group whose vessels fish for Pollock. As we've seen by the recent outbreak in Unifee and now the outbreak in Akitan, it is just a a wily virus. This virus wants to replicate. It wants to pass itself on to other people. Trident's plant has 700 workers. The company still doesn't know how big the outbreak is because it hasn't been able to get mass testing supplies to Akatan thanks to bad weather. In the meantime, many fishermen who have to deliver their fish to one of the two shuttered plants are able to hold off. That's because the Pollock fishery operates as a cooperative, where vessels have a fixed quota of fish they can catch and deliver to a specific plant. Payne says short closures are manageable. But if the plants remain shut down for longer... If they can't get their workforce, you know, being able to work here in the next month, you know, or the next couple months, that is a problem. Unice officials say they think their outbreak is controllable. Tom Enlow is the company's president. We're confident that uh, we, we think that we can get this contained here. Um, we'll know more in the next couple of days as the results from the mass testing come back. Seafood companies were largely successful in keeping the coronavirus out of their onshore plants during last year's Pollock season. But the virus is now spreading at much higher rates inside and outside Alaska, where many processing workers come from. And while companies lobbied for vaccine access for their workers, Alaska chose to vaccinate its elders first. Martin, the retired skipper, says that it's unsettling to see the virus get into the Aleutian plants, knowing how seriously his company and others have taken it. I know their management, and I know that they were as vigilant as as we've been. So it almost is scarier because it's coming down to almost luck of the draw. Pollock season is set to wrap up in early June. In Unalaska, I'm Hope McKenney. A program that teaches teachers how to incorporate culture into their classrooms has moved into several communities in southeast Alaska. The program, Through the Cultural Lens, is run by Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. It's been in some of Juno's secondary schools for about seven years, but this year it's expanding to five K-12 school districts in smaller communities in the region. KFSK's Angela Denning has more. There are hundreds of indigenous students in public schools in southeast Alaska, but many of the K-12 teachers are non-native and have no idea how to incorporate the contemporary culture into the classroom. Teachers might be aware of Clinket, Haida, and Simshian cultures, but don't know how to teach it. Then they just don't do it. David Shakely Early is the project manager with Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. He says he's seen this happen repeatedly. It's not that the teachers don't want to teach students the local indigenous culture. They're just afraid to. With fear of, you know, maybe I'll do it wrong. Maybe I'll incorporate it and try to do something and, and offend somebody. He says the Through the Cultural Lens program gives teachers the confidence to talk about culture with their students. Studies show indigenous students are more successful when they have their own culture in their classroom. Things like having cultural responsible education materials, a place-based curriculum, 
and the incorporation of native languages. The bottom line is, is ultimately everything is for the student, and so it, it's really helping to find that connection so that students can really be engaged. Shakely Early says the program teaches cultural values, and that's something that all students can benefit from. Honoring our land, um, strength in the, the body, mind, and spirit, um, past, present, and future generations, and then uh, balance, you know, with social balance, spiritual balance, you know, balance in really everything. And so based off of those four values, you can see how it is pretty dynamic, and it doesn't have to be specifically for, you know, Alaska Native students that are going to benefit from understanding and, and learning through these values. The five new school districts taking part in the program are in Petersburg, Wrangell, Ketchikan, Heidelberg, and Metlakatla. In Petersburg, all teachers in the district will get some training, says Superintendent Erica Kluhpainter. Looking at what background and framework that, that we all bring to instruction and learning. They will also be looking at district policies. Some staff in the district are diving deeper into the program and getting additional training. Petersburg superintendent, two principals, and three teachers are participating in that part. They will be spending 50 hours over several months having cultural orientation and then sharing that knowledge with other school staff. So we have a teacher in each building that's participating and then we'll be able to do kind of that, our own training and work with, with staff uh, moving forward. Participants are learning together in a group with the other Southeast communities. They'll each get a stipend for completing the program. They can also earn three credits through the University of Alaska Southeast if they want. Their first course will be a sort of Southeast Alaska Native Culture 101 class, where they will learn from different speakers who Shakely Early calls the cream of the crop. And then I hope that the teachers and educators take this cultural orientation and um, this knowledge and this background, this history, these cultural values, and incorporate these into the classroom, into the schools, and, um, you know, into the community as well. The participants in the course will develop a final project that they will teach in their classrooms and also share with the program so that other educators can use it as well. The program also has a three-day annual education conference at Sea Alaska Heritage Institute around the first part of August. There, educators from around the state and country learn and talk about cultural responsive education. The program is funded by the U.S. Department of Education and the Alaska Native Education Program Department. This grant cycle will go through September of 2022. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.